0: Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shear, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this episode, we're learning about one of the most infamous figures of Renaissance Italy, which is saying something because there are a lot of historical figures that can get that title. It's none other than Cesare Borgia, the son of Rodrigo Borgia, a.k.a. Pope Alexander VI. We briefly talked about Cesare in the episode I did over his father, so go listen to that one if you haven't already. The Borgias as a whole are historically known for being controversial in their own time. Pope Alexander was known as one of the most evil popes ever, and people even like to throw around the word antichrist when dealing with him. But while the pope may have engaged in some less than holy activities, his historical image was mostly a grand smear campaign created by his successors. But can the same be said about his son? Before I reveal the whole truth, we'll have to dive into his life story. Along the way, he'll come into contact with a couple major names of Renaissance Italy, including diplomat-slash-historian Niccolò Machiavelli and the Renaissance man himself, Leonardo da Vinci. It's a story of God, war, and treason, aka the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of the Renaissance. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to the late 15th century of renaissance Europe in Son of God, Prince of Lies. It's gonna be a bit of a shorter background history lesson this time around. We've talked about the Vatican during the latter half of the 15th century, check out the episode of Rodrigo Borgia for that, but we didn't talk too much about Italy as a whole during this time period. While the Vatican was in a bizarre position at this point, Italy itself was also in a state of chaos called the Italian Wars. But before I can actually explain what that is, I should probably explain that Italy was not what we think of as it is today. While some variation on the name of Italy has existed for the peninsula since ancient Greece, the actual nation itself did not exist until the latter half of the 19th century. So, the Italian peninsula we're dealing with during the time of the Italian Wars was actually several smaller nations, and most of them were usually at war with each other at some point or another. Some of these nations were the Papal States, aka the region in central Italy under direct Vatican control, the Republic of Venice, the Republic of Florence, the Duchy of Milan, and the Kingdom of Naples, with Naples taking up about half of the peninsula in the south. But before the Italian Wars could actually begin, there was a brief period of peace after the formation of what was known as the Italic League. This was a peace agreement between the different nations of Italy formed in 1454, mostly them proposing to behave so that their next-door neighbor France couldn't invade. The League managed to stay in place until the death of Florentine statesman Lorenzo de Medici. He had been one of the biggest proponents of the League, and with his death, the bonds of peace and cooperation began to fall apart. The League falling apart in 1492 was what actually led to King Charles VIII of France to invade the Kingdom of Naples in 1494. Things escalated when the Republic of Venice allied itself with the Austrian Empire and the Kingdom of Aragon, which was in eastern Spain. Pope Alexander VI decided to ally himself with France, especially Charles's successor, Louis XII. Though the Italian Wars would continue until 1559, it was the beginning period that we're looking at. This new, tumultuous war needed someone just as brutal to lead things on the Italian side. A man who seemingly was not destined for the war at first, but his rise to power would make him one of the most infamous names in all of Italian history. to him by his Italian name for the rest of the episode, a.k.a. Cesare Borgia, he was also known by his Spanish name, Cesar Borja. He was born in Rome in 1475 into the incredibly powerful Spanish house of Borja. As stated, his father was Cardinal Rodrigo Borgia, the future Pope Alexander VI. His mother was Borgia's mistress, a woman named Venosa de Cantani. In a very rare move, Rodrigo Borgia openly acknowledged Cesare and his siblings as illegitimate children born out of wedlock. This wasn't the first time that a pope had acknowledged having children. I mean, it used to be legal for Catholic priests and clergy to get married and have families. This also wasn't the first time a pope acknowledged illegitimate children, but this was the first time a pope acknowledged children he'd sired after taking the vows of celibacy. Cesare had several other siblings. He had two brothers, Giovanni and Geoffrey, and a sister, Lucrezia. It's thought that Rodrigo Borgia had more illegitimate children by other women, making them Cesare's half-siblings, but the Pope only ever acknowledged his four children by Vennozza. And as the second son in the family, with Giovanni being the oldest, Cesare's life was immediately set to aim for a position within the church. Luckily, when your father is a cardinal, that is a very easy position to obtain. He initially went to school in Italy, studying law at what is now Sapienza University in Rome. By the time he was 15 years old, Cesare had been made a bishop in the diocese of Pamplona in Spain. Two years later, he was promoted to the Archbishop of Valencia, Spain. Can you imagine being alive in the Renaissance and the guy in charge of your archdiocese is probably still going through puberty? saying prayers and having his voice break halfway through. I mean, I went to Catholic high school, so that's all too real. But that was not the end of Cesare's quick rise to power within the church, not by a long shot. In 1493, Cesare was also made bishop of the two French dioceses of Castres and Elna. The next year, he was made abbot of the French abbey of Saint-Michel-de-Cuxa. It all came to a head when Rodrigo Borgia was elected Pope after which he made his son a cardinal. Despite basically having lived a full life in service of the church up to this point, most of Cesare's contemporaries seemed to think he wasn't much keen on being a man of God. As a close confidant of his father, Cesare was usually seen within the Vatican. There, it was said he enjoyed partying, wearing very expensive clothing, and going out hunting with friends. However, Cesare was being forced into a position that would secure a religious dynasty for his father. Giovanni, Joffrey, and even Lucrezia, to an extent, were allowed to live secular lives full of Renaissance fun. What would have to happen in order for Cesare to get the life he actually wanted? Out of the four children of Rodrigo and Venozza, the true successor of the House of Borgia was actually Giovanni. After the death of his probably half-brother Luigi, Giovanni became the Duke of Gandia, a position that had recently been resurrected after relative disuse as a favor to Cardinal Borgia. As with Cesare, Giovanni also received several other titles, these ones political rather than within the church. Among these titles were Gonfaloniere and Captain General of the Church. Gonfaloniere was mostly a ceremonial position. While there were many locations throughout Italy that granted people the title of Gonfaloniere, the title in the Vatican referred to something akin to the standard bearer of the Vatican's armed forces. While the person in this position actually held quite a bit of prestige, Many times they also served as captain general of the church in order to have actual military power. Giovanni held the position from 1493 until June of 1497. On the night of June 14th, 1497, the entire Borgia family was celebrating together. Giovanni left early, and some accounts say that he asked Cesare and several attendants to perform some sort of favor for him out in the city. Well, When the sun rose on the morning of the 15th, no one had any idea where Giovanni was. It was not until the next day when a citizen came forward and told Rodrigo Borgia, at this point the Pope, that he had seen a body dumped into the Tiber River in the night of June 14th. Apparently, it was public knowledge that the Tiber was the place to hide bodies and that was why the man hadn't spoken up sooner. After scouring the river. They managed to find Giovanni's body covered in stab wounds. No one was ever formally convicted of the murder. The suspects ranged from rival families of the Borgias, such as the Orsini and the Sforzas, to all of Giovanni's siblings. Almost everyone seemed to have a motive for wanting to kill Giovanni. His youngest brother, Joffrey, was married to the daughter of the King of Naples, whom Giovanni happened to be having an affair with, Perhaps Joffrey killed him out of anger at his wife's infidelity. Lucrezia was married to a member of the Sforza family, but she was planning on divorcing her husband, so it's possible they wanted revenge for that. But whenever people want the story to be really dramatic, they always turn to Cesare as the culprit. Allegedly, the two brothers had always had a lifelong rivalry that bordered on actual hatred for each other. Giovanni was the heir to the House of Borgia, while Cesare had been forced into the church. Everything Cesare wanted, Giovanni already had. Cesare was also sleeping around with Joffrey's wife, so perhaps he wanted to murder him in order to have her to himself. And if the story of Cesare being sent out of the party is true, then he was already free to follow his brother and literally stab him in the back. It doesn't help that when the news of Giovanni's murder got out, Queen Isabella of Spain for some reason decided to believe that Cesare was guilty of the crime. But like I said, no one was ever convicted for Giovanni's murder. To this day, no one actually knows who did it. However, Giovanni's death began a new chapter for Cesare. Maybe because there was now an opening in the political side of the Borgia family, Cesare decided to do something big. In 1498, Cesare Borgia became the first person to ever resign from being a Cardinal. Because Cesare's father was the Pope, also just the fact that he was a Borgia, meant that he was allowed to pursue the military career he had always wanted. He was quickly transitioned into the Vatican armies as the new Captain General of the Church. He was also bestowed with immediate honors by Louis XII of France who made Cesare the Duke of Valentinois. Combined with his previous position as Cardinal of Valencia, Cesare earned himself the nickname Valentino. This new relationship with France was even further solidified with Cesare's marriage to Charlotte d'Albret, the sister-in-law of the Queen of Navarre, a small kingdom that crossed the Pyrenees Mountains so that it was in both modern-day France and Spain. This all came at a time when France was beginning to ramp up the Italian Wars once more in order to squash the Kingdom of Naples. Side note, this is all still happening in 1498, the year Cesare stepped down as Cardinal. At 23 years old, he's been in one of the highest positions of clergy in the Catholic Church, stepped down from that, became the highest position in the Vatican's army, and now is more or less married into French royalty. One of Cesare's earliest military victories was helping to secure Louis XII's military invasion of Milan. Seeing the successes of his son, Pope Alexander thought it would be a great idea to carve out a chunk of Italy for Cesare to rule over. He immediately deposed all of the vicars in the regions of Romagna and Marche. Now, vicars in the Catholic Church are different from vicars in other Christian denominations. Whereas, in other denominations, vicars can be members of the clergy, Catholic vicars are more of a politician who works directly under the member of a clergy, usually bishops and cardinals, but in this specific case, the pope. The citizens of these areas had come to dislike the local vicars, or at least that's what history tells us. Obviously, with the son of the pope and one of the most powerful men in Italy in charge, the locals were much happier. Maybe they were, but that just sounds a bit too convenient. But now as a powerful military leader with a victory under his belt and a chunk of land to call his own, Cesare was living the secular life he had always wanted. (music) Cesare spent the next couple years in fierce military campaigns during the Italian wars. Louis XII gave him thousands of soldiers in order to help secure the lands around the Papal States. This brought him into further conflict with the Sforza family, both directly and indirectly. One of the most famous opponents of Cesare at this time was Caterina Sforza, the Countess of Forli. She was the illegitimate daughter of the Duke of Milan, but she quickly rose to power when she married Girolamo Riario, the nephew of the Pope at the time, Sixtus IV. The Pope granted her husband the lordship of the city Imola and then later the lordship of Forli. After the death of her husband in 1488, she assumed control of power in both cities. She was known for her fierce military mind, having earned the nickname La Tigre after defending Forli against the armies of Venice. Well, the only problem, not really but saying this is for the sake of the story, was that she lived in the region of Romagna a.k.a. part of Italy that Pope Alexander had gifted to Cesare. Even though the pope had gotten rid of his vicars, there still remained the local nobility. In March of 1499, Pope Alexander issued an order that dissolved the powers of the local lords and ladies, but that did not stop Caterina from defying both the pope and Cesare. In late November, Cesare marched on the city of Imola, where they opened the doors of the city gates and just let him come in. After receiving the news that one of her cities had been taken, Katerina turned to her people and asked them if they were willing to just lie down and wait for Cesare to trample over them. Well, the citizens of Forli were different from Imola because… they hesitated. Okay, it wasn't an outright no, but Caterina quickly realized that she was mostly on her own when it came to defending the city against Cesare's army. She had hoped to receive aid from the city of Florence, but they weren't super keen on earning the ire of the Pope. So Caterina sealed herself away in her fortress and waited for the Borgia army. On December 19th, Cesare's armies captured Forli and immediately laid siege to Caterina's fortress. The Countess was not going to give in easily. Cesare supposedly offered her peace, but Caterina refused. She even attempted to have Cesare captured, though her efforts failed. After negotiations and other less brutal options were put aside, both sides aimed their cannons at each other. Katerina's artillery wiped out a huge chunk of the French soldiers Louis XII had gifted to Cesare. According to Machiavelli, there were many songs and poems written in praise of Caterina's resistance to Cesare's siege. Unfortunately, almost none of them remain except for a short song called The Lament of Caterina Sforza. And based on that title, I'm sure you can guess how things go from here. After nearly a month of back-and-forth cannon fighting, Cesare decided to kick things up a notch. You see, you can't fight wars 24-7, soldiers get tired they had to stop firing the cannons so people could rest up. Well, Katerina and her soldiers had been taking that time available at night to rebuild the damage inflicted on the fortress during the day. Cesare's new plan was simple. Fire the cannons both all through the day and through the night. Several days later, on January 12, 1500, Cesare and his army breached the fortress and captured Katerina. After his victory at Forli. Cesare returned to Rome where he received high honors. His father granted him the title of gonfaloniere and created a dozen more cardinal positions in order to raise money for Cesare to hire mercenary companies to once more continue his campaigns in Romagna. Let's step aside from Cesare's military conquests for just a moment to talk about his relationship with some famous VIPs of Renaissance Italy. First up is Leonardo da Vinci. While he is mostly known as an artist, da Vinci was also an engineer. In fact, he had over 5,000 pages worth of notes and drawings over inventions and other engineering feats he had thought up. Well, in 1502, Cesare hired da Vinci as a military engineer. Probably not where you thought this would go when I brought him up at the beginning of the episode, right? Da Vinci also joined Cesare's armies during the campaigns against Caterina Sforza. During their time in Imola, Leonardo created a map of the city. This might not sound super impressive, except that his map was made from an overhead bird's eye view. His map of Imola was possibly the first city map to have been made this way. Da Vinci was also given free reign of the troops at Cesare's command. Borgia ordered his troops to aid the painter-slash-engineer with any task he demanded of them, as if Cesare himself had ordered them to do it. Also, in case you weren't aware, Leonardo da Vinci was famously gay, maybe bisexual. There are some people that speculate that Cesare and da Vinci may have actually had some sort of relationship with each other beyond the simple commander and military engineer. There's almost no historical proof for this, but it's interesting to think about. However, da Vinci would end his partnership with Cesare less than a full year after being taken on for reasons I'll get into later. Let's now talk about Niccolo Machiavelli. While less famous overall than da Vinci, Machiavelli was equally important to the world of the Italian Renaissance. He was a historian, diplomat, and philosopher who is often credited as being the father of modern political science. He's most well known for his political treatise, The Prince. In this book, he wrote about the qualities he considered to be necessary for a good ruler. Most of the examples in The Prince are rulers who were often considered tyrants or cruel individuals. He believed politics was always about lying, treason, and other criminal activities, which... Yeah, okay, that tracks. But there are many today who criticize Machiavelli's writings as almost a how-to-be-an-evil-king-101. His name is where we get the term Machiavellian, which is used to describe deceptive and cunning behaviors, especially when it comes to politics. It's still a divisive topic, though, as to whether or not Machiavelli thought Cesare was actually a good ruler or not. Around the same time that da Vinci was under Cesare's employment, the son of the Pope found himself host to Machiavelli at his own palace. During this time, Machiavelli wrote countless letters back to his home city of Florence. Many of these letters managed to exist into the modern day, and it's in them that we get a bit of a sneak peek into Cesare's personality. Based on the way the philosopher describes him, Cesare exhibited behavior that almost seemed manic-depressive. He was said to alternate between almost demonic-like anger while also staying up all night to take on political assignments, and other days would be unable to get out of bed due to extreme sloth. Machiavelli's letters are also how we get the stories of how Cesare, in Machiavelli's words, pacified Romagna. It was also in his letters that we get another story of Cesare's life, a story that may have been the reason da Vinci exited Borgia's employment. The story of Cesare's Great Betrayal When Pope Alexander expanded the number of cardinals, he used the new funds to allow Cesare to hire on condottiere, aka mercenary leaders in charge of small armies for hire. These new commanders helped Cesare continue his military campaigns across Italy. They helped him topple the Aragonese powers, Aragonese meaning the Kingdom of Aragon, in Naples while also helping to lay siege to several cities across Romagna. By June of 1502, Cesare had turned his attention to the region of Marche and captured the cities of Urbino and Camerino with intentions to take over the city of Bologna. Now, despite being mercenary leaders and signing up for a war, some of Cesare's condottieri began having a change of heart after witnessing the ruthlessness of their commander. Several of them, most notably the brothers of the powerful Orsini family, decided to devise a plan to betray Cesare. Several of the mercenary leaders returned to the area around Urbino and Camerino and staged a massive revolt. Now, remember. The people of Romagna allegedly actually liked Cesare, so the condottieri getting to the point where they could have any sort of revolution was actually a bit impressive. When Cesare finally learned what was happening, the condottieri had managed to amass a larger army than the number of troops remaining with their leader. Cesare gathered his remaining allies and set up shop in Umola as he waited for the condottieri to come to him. When the two sides finally clashed, Cesare proved his military might by keeping up a strong defensive force. He had a powerful card he could play. All he needed to do was wait. And wait he did until the Pope supplied him with reinforcements. Once Cesare's armies managed to get the upper hand, he decided to play things smart. Instead of killing the condottieri, he offered them peace. The peace negotiations would take place in the city of Senegalia, But once everyone arrived for what was supposed to be talks of peace, Cesare sprung his trap. He had the rebellious Condottieri imprisoned and eventually executed for treason in early 1503. As a victory lap, I guess, Cesare then went on to conquer the Republic of San Marino with plans to take Tuscany next. Some people say it was Cesare's betrayal of peace talks with the Condottieri that caused Da Vinci to quit while others believe it was because Cesare was planning on taking Tuscany. Da Vinci was from Florence, which is in that region. Things were looking up for the son of the Pope. With his father being the most powerful man in Europe, nothing could stop him. But what if that was no longer the case? Pope Alexander died in August of 1503. He actually died of malaria, but there's a whole story about how he might have accidentally or purposely been poisoned by Cesare. Check out the episode over him if you want that full story. Without daddy's money to keep his military conquests going, Cesare had to quickly get in favor with whoever was to replace dear old dad. Luckily, the next pope, Pius III, was willing to be a beacon for Cesare's desires. He reconfirmed Cesare as gonfaloniere and offered him continued financing for his grand conquest of Italy. That is, until he died 23 days into his papacy. Scrambling, Cesare turned to Cardinal Giuliano della Rovere, a man who absolutely despised the Borgias but was a shoo-in for the next pope. The Cardinal agreed to give Cesare anything he wanted if the gonfaloniere would throw his support behind Giuliano as pope. Desperate, Cesare agreed to the cardinal's demands, but Cesare was not the only man in Italy who could play the game of treason. As soon as he was elected Pope, Pope Julius II to be exact, Cesare realized he had been tricked when the papacy refused to give him funds and forced him to give up his claims to all of the lands Cesare had conquered. Cesare was now facing the wrath of the King of Aragon and the Vatican. While attempting to keep his head above water while campaigning in Naples, Cesare was betrayed one last time by one of his closest military allies. He was imprisoned in Naples, which allowed Pope Julius to take away the last bits of power Cesare had enjoyed in his previous life. In 1504, Cesare was transferred to a prison in the Kingdom of Aragon, the Castle of Chinchilla. Yes, that's its real name. He managed to escape from Chinchilla, but was once more imprisoned in another Spanish prison and just for good measure, he managed to escape from that prison, too. On the run once more, Cesare fled from the Kingdom of Aragon and, in 1506, arrived in Navarre, aka the kingdom of his brother-in-law. King John of Navarre was looking for a new military leader to command his troops, and luckily, that's exactly what Cesare was best at doing. In 1507, Cesare led the forces of Navarre against the forces of Aragon at the siege of Viana, a town in Navarre that had fallen under Aragonese control. Though they had recaptured the city, Cesare's forces were having difficulty taking control of the castle at Viana. On March 11th, a group of knights fled from the castle as a distraction during a heavy storm. Cesare and some of his soldiers took the bait and pursued the group into the woods around the castle. Cesare was separated from the rest of his troops when he was ambushed by Aragonese forces. He was killed and stripped of all of his belongings. And I mean everything. He was apparently found completely naked, bleeding out with a red tile covering his groin because apparently even dead war criminals deserve some sense of modesty. King John originally had Cesare buried in a local church in Vienna. Sometime in the latter half of the 16th century, the church was undergoing reconstruction and the local bishop ordered for Cesare's body to be tossed out and buried under the street out front. The bishop's father had been imprisoned under Pope Alexander VI, so this was him getting his revenge. Borgia's body remained there until the 1800s when historians unearthed what they believed to be his body and buried it in an actual grave that body was once more unearthed in 1945 to confirm that the bones did in fact belong to Cesare. The body was in fact Cesare's, so they were put on display in a local museum for a few years before once more being buried in a grave at the church where they were originally laid to rest. Now that Cesare's life story is out of the way, let's get into some fun facts about him, okay? Let's start off with the super great fun fact that he had syphilis. I know that doesn't sound very fun, but here's an interesting thing about his whole situation. We know when and where he got the disease the entire process of his recovery, and how it affected him later in his life, but we don't know the name of the woman who gave it to him. The story goes that he got it from a prostitute while serving as a papal legate, a.k.a. an envoy for his father, to the king of Naples while he was still a cardinal. Despite having access to some very good doctors thanks to his dad being the pope, the disease would end up covering his body in scars. So by the time he died, he had to wear a full mask over half of his face, a la Phantom of the Opera, because of his condition. Fun fact number two. There are almost no confirmed art pieces of Cesare from his lifetime. There are a couple that we think might be of him, I'll link those on social media, but there aren't any artworks that are actually labeled as being of Cesare's likeness. There's a portrait from 1513 titled Portrait of a Gentleman that is usually attributed to being of Cesare, and it's usually the most popular picture you find when you look him up. And with those assumptions, a few centuries later, Alexander Dumas, aka the author of The Count of Monte Cristo and the Three Musketeers, claimed that Cesare's likeness was actually then used as a model for Jesus Christ in artwork that depicted him as a Caucasian man. Those claims are probably based on nothing, but it wouldn't be too far-fetched to believe that the most powerful man in Italy wanted depictions of Jesus to be based on him. Besides that, there's the usual unpleasant rumors about Cesare that come with all members of the Borgias. Rumors have persisted even into the present that Cesare and his sister Lucrezia were in a relationship together. Those rumors are now just believed to be part of the constant wave of slander that was thrown at the family in order to vilify them. For the most part, this vilification of the Borgias is unwarranted. Most of them were no better or worse than the other nobility of Europe at the time. But when it comes to Cesare, eh, he definitely was no saint. While many rumors about him and his family are false, that doesn't prevent the facts from showing Cesare Borgia was pretty awful. I think I've made it pretty clear that Cesare Borgia was in a different league than the rest of his family. I would never jump in to defend any member of the Borgia, but Cesare definitely comes out on top as the actual worst member of the lot. There's a reason why most people tend to think that Machiavelli's The Prince was almost entirely inspired by the guy. It's also no surprise why such a controversial figure would continue to persist in media up through the present. Even if a lot of the TV shows and video games he's been in relied on the rumors about his character in order to paint him as a vile human being, the actual truth makes Cesare a dominating figure in his own right. Also, if you are interested in the media that depicts Cesare and his family, there are several TV series about them, a British series from the 80s and a European and American series that both aired in 2011. Also, if you own a Nintendo Switch, they recently released a remastered version of the Assassin's Creed 2 trilogy that heavily features the Borgias. Uh, Those are some of my favorite video games ever, so I highly recommend them. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and subscribe to the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time it's another installation of Were They Great? We're tackling the reign of one of the most important figures in the era of the Enlightenment, Frederick II of Prussia. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers.